welcome to Tell Me Your Story. I am Richard Dugan, your host. This is New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And uh, I'm going to set aside the preliminaries so we can jump right into our guest and his and a conversation with Mark Rose. And we're promoting a series, a book series, actually. He's an author, but uh, among other things, this guy has done uh, some incredible things um uh, in regards to uh incredible intersections of technology society ready to talk uh to you or to me about uh, a lot of uh, his scientific beliefs evolution god i'm going to look forward to that part of our program but he has a a book series out right now which i find fascinating it's called matt miller in the colonies and i think uh it's either three or four books strong. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't more. I think it's an interesting period to uh, to research and investigate, to say the very least. And thank you so much for joining us, Mark J. Rose, on our program. Thanks a lot, Richard. I appreciate it. Appreciate being on. This is, uh, uh, as I'm reading through uh, all this information about you, I mean, it's just unbelievable some of the things you've done. In addition to, and this is a subject that we could touch on maybe briefly, uh, that is your uh, doctorate in uh, pharma, pharmacological, I think I have that right, chemistry. Pharma pharmaceutical chemistry. Pharmaceutical. I, I'm sorry. Go back to English. C. Uh, if it's preceded by a vowel is usually uh, as an S. Okay, pharmaceutical chemistry. You are also the director of research and development at, um, uh, they're referring it to it as a startup biotech company. Uh, you're a neuroscientist, uh, also authoring a, a lot of different books in addition to this particular series. And um, uh, it's this is going to be interesting. Also talking about how genetics, human consciousness. Oh, and here's another big one. The quantum world, God, the universe and religion are all pieces of uh, the same, if you will, the same story or puzzle. And that's kind of what we do here on this program, Mark, is we uh, ask you to share your pieces of your puzzle because who knows, maybe parts of those pieces might fit my puzzle. And then I'll have a better understanding of my world and how it works. Uh, your, your, your background, as I've kind of gone through very cursory here, is, is rather diverse. Um, but I would take it that you, uh, you feel that they're all interconnected. They all play a, a pivotal role in your understanding of the universe as you see it. Well, I'm a drug hunter by training, right? And so early on, I got involved in the pharmaceutical industry. And, and as part of the pharmaceutical industry, we're, we're, we're there to cure disease. And I found myself in neuroscience very early on in my career and have worked in neuroscience for two decades. And one of the interesting things about curing uh, neurological diseases, Alzheimer's, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, and you can just keep going down the list. If you, if you look at the cures that we've actually come up with uh, across the pharmaceutical industry, we haven't cured one major disease, right? We haven't cured Alzheimer's. We really haven't cured depression. We have things that dull it until you can take care of yourself, mm -hmm. but we don't really have cures. 
And what it starts to make you think after seeing the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been put into curing the brain is we really don't understand it, right? And now yeah. you start looking at the biology of the brain and going, okay, you know, we understand the cellular level of the brain, but really what is the function of the brain and how does it interact? And then what's the basis for some of these diseases? Yeah. Well, I've often said, and, and, uh, you know, I'd love your observations on this because it is just my observation. I have no background in the sciences and biology. I just remember a lot of the interesting things that I was told in biology class, the body, the human body is the ultimate pharmaceutical company, shall we say, but it's individualized. I have my own and you have your own. I don't need FDA approval uh, because my body generates a lot of the chemicals, a lot of the drugs, we'll call them, or pharmaceuticals, uh, that it needs. However, there are times when the chemistry gets out of whack, and it can get out of whack for a lot of reasons. Do you, as a drug hunter, as you put it, wanting to cure things, all right, uh, do you find that we've kind of gone in the wrong direction from the standpoint that we're looking for some outside solution when in fact we should be looking for the cause of the disorder or dis-ease uh, and then somehow fortifying the body's own um, chemistry lab, shall we say, or the pharmacy, uh, to generate what it is that we need for us to live an optimally healthy life. Well, I'm going to say, I, I, first off, I don't want to disparage the pharmaceutical industry because I think that we have come up with a number of cures for disease. Okay, we're, we're a lot more healthy than we've ever been. It has uh, its benefits. There's no question. Okay, so there is. Um, but we also have something interesting uh, and this, even as a young man in my 20s, when I was working for a company called Glaxo, and we were working on what was then the biggest selling drug in the history of mankind, Zantac, that I've you most people have heard of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we were doing clinical studies for Zantac, which was it, it was for curing ulcers. Right. And and the ulcer, like before that time, ulcer operations, if it's a 50,000, at the time it was $50,000 and you actually had to have somebody go in your stomach and, and cure your ulcer. And, and suddenly we had Zantac. Uh, but the weird thing about Zantac and, and, and why this, this was kind of interesting to me is that the placebo effect for curing an ulcer was in the 60s. So I, I think it was 67% of all people that got a placebo their ulcers were cured just as well as the people who got Zantac. And then the cure rate for Zantac was like almost 80%. Okay, so between 67% and almost 80%, that's not that big of a difference, right? And so then mm -hmm. it, it, it behooves you to start thinking about, well, what is this placebo effect thing that we're talking about? Right. And you know, some people say, well, it's all in your mind. Well, that's not a very good scientific explanation. Okay. No, now it gets no. back to what you were saying about the fact that we are, you know, we do manufacture certain things within our body uh, that will cure our ulcers, for instance. Mm -hmm. Okay. But now what is the scientific explanation for that? And again, you can't just leave it at, well, it's all in your head because there are a number of diseases, depression. Uh, a lot of the depression medications are confounded 
by not being very different from placebo. Because once mm -hmm. people start thinking they're going to fix their depression, right, they start to feel better about themselves. They don't need drugs at all. Um, and so, yeah, it, it goes back to, you know, what is this mind-body connection? And now, again, you have to start thinking of the science behind it. Right. Now, there's also been, uh, I saw this uh, this one um, uh, piece, and it was on 60 Minutes, and they focused on that very thing, the placebo effect. And they did uh, blood, double-blind studies. And they found that the people who were getting the placebos, and I again, I don't remember the percentages. I don't remember the 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 positive to the negative, but it was pretty damn high. And people were shocked when they found out it was, no, I stand corrected. They weren't shocked because they were told up front they were being given a placebo. Yeah. And many of the people experienced uh, a, a, a relief from whatever it was that they were taking the placebo for. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because a couple of years ago, uh, and I just I'll use myself as a case in point. I was diagnosed with type two diabetes. Yes. Now, uh, that was uh, July of 2020. And it was just after a few months after the country had been shut down and we all shifted from our normal diets to. Comfort foods and what are in comfort foods, sugars and carb, uh, carbs, <laughs> carbohydrates, which turn into sugars. Now, I was also a pretty heavy soda drinker, too. Mm. So I go into my doctor after experiencing a couple of interesting symptoms that I didn't concern me that much, but I did have an idea something wasn't right. Uh, Richard, you have type 2 diabetes. And about a half hour goes by and I'm just kind of processing process. And I finally, he says, you know, Richard, this is going to take a long time. Tells me this story about a, a guy who was in his sixties, late sixties, early seventies. His A1C was where it was. And this was his daily blood sugar, blah, blah, blah. Says, oh yeah. And it took him about six months and he actually brought it down to around seven. Well, I was finally back in my right mind <clears throat> after processing. I said, it's not going to be a long road because I know how I got here. As I just explained to you, I was back to my normal A1C and normal daily blood sugar range within a month and a half. Now, did he give me metformin? He did. And for a week and a half, I took two per his instructions. And I'm monitoring using the old glucose monitor. And it's going down, 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 down. So I went down, self-prescribing, down to one metformin. Yes, yeah, see. Uh, so, Richard, the, the clinical work is, is quite clear on type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a lifestyle exercise cure uh, for type 2 diabetes. And I'm not going to say it's 100%. but No, no, it's uh, not. I thought for sure, uh, and I've seen the clinical studies, and I thought for sure when the results came out that the companies that were selling type 2 diabetes medications for curing type 2 diabetes were going to go out of business. Okay, because as soon as people found out that that your diet uh, and exercise could cure this, and you wouldn't have to take the drug that they mm -hmm. decide diet and exercise. But strangely enough, uh, a lot of people aren't willing to take that commitment. They're not. They're not willing to change their lifestyle. They're not willing to exercise. And so, yeah. And you said it. You said it right there. And my wife said the same thing when we're watching these commercials. Well, I got my type. I got my A one C down to just around seven. Right. Seven. That's it. And I didn't take the pill and I got mine down to 5.7. But anyway, that, but you're right. The willpower issue. 
That is the real key. And it almost goes to what you said earlier about mind over, so to speak, uh, you know, mind body connection. Uh, So I find that uh, uh, this whole area is it's fascinating. And again, I I, like you, I'm not disparaging the pharmaceutical industry because, um, you know, I'm putting these little drops in my eye for to prevent uh, my good eye, my only eye from uh, contracting any kind of glaucoma or any other conditions like that. No, the, I, I, again, I, the yeah. pharmaceutical industry has done quite a bit yeah. um, for cures. There's just, you know, everything really can't be cured by a drug. It, no, it really can't. Not at all. I, I would say that the ultimate, forgive me putting it this way, Mark, but really the ultimate cure is death. That is when it's, it doesn't matter anymore. Because you're out of the you're out of the body that's giving you problems. Hey, uh, I want to talk about uh, your book and uh, your this series because I find it fascinating. Matt Miller in the colonies. Mark Rose, Mark J. Rose is my guest, folks. You're listening to tell me your story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we have, <clears throat> pardon me, Mark Rose with us. He is the author of a. Uh, I guess you, what is, is it a trilogy, uh, three or four books? There are actually four books in this series. It's about a young scientist, a modern day scientist who wakes up in colonial America and has to figure out how to survive. Um, yeah. Fourth book just came out. It's called Architect. The fourth book just came out last month. I love, I love the, the, the aspect that he has his phone. He has his money. Of course, the clothes that he was wearing, he's still wearing those. He's got all of the stuff from the 21st century with him, and it's all junk because there's nothing he can do with it. He, I mean, you know, well, he can't use the money because that money hasn't even been created yet, printed. You know, they're using whatever it is they were using back then. But it raises some very interesting questions, no, no, no doubt about it, in addition to the story that it tells. First of all, uh, and let's dive a little bit into this to give people a little uh, a little preview. Who is Matt Miller? Well, again, he's a, a 26-year-old scientist, and I had him uh, mirror my education. So he's a 26-year-old scientist that knows how to make drugs, right, to make medicines to cure disease. Uh, but he only has the skills that are modern skills. And so really, when he arrives in 1762, Virginia, he doesn't have any relevant skills and he has to sort out how he's going to make a living. And it it became a, a, a really interesting thought exercise. Right. OK, what things do I know that uh, I gave him my education and what things would I know that would help me live in a place where they value things like farming? Uh, blacksmiths <laughs> you, mm-hmm. can you shoe horses what can you do that's relevant to 1762 uh, uh, colonial america right and so it became again um, this adventure of him trying to sort out how he's going to survive why did you choose 1762 well i was interested in the time period i've always been interested in colonial america i've been interested in the founding of the united states and this is a this is the uh, kind of the incubator of 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 the, the the United States in its formation, starting of the revolution, people starting to think about the fundamental rights of man, uh, what you know we as as individuals, um, what were granted, you know, just by being uh, the one person, and it, it all kind of came together. Also, the Enlightenment, uh, the Scottish Enlightenment, was starting to have its uh, effects on the United States. And so it's a very exciting time as far as uh, hmm. uh, humanity 
government. And I do believe the United States is you know, the greatest country that's the world has ever seen. Right. So what went into this? And I wanted to explore that a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because if we were actually able to go back there, there would be a few questions that I know some of us would want to ask. What the hell did you mean in both the First and Second Amendments? What the hell were you talking about? What was it intended to say? Because we have so much controversy in the 21st century (laughs) over what they really meant. And everybody's got their opinion. And I'm not going to I'm not going down that road. I'm just saying uh, it's almost along the lines, too. I was uh, listening to uh, one of these YouTube shorties uh, shorts uh, where uh, this one guy was talking about um, the one of the commandments that says thou shalt not kill. Now, that book has been around since Gutenberg. And I guess what, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred years or something. I, I don't know. I, I can't remember when the printing press was invented. That's the, that goes to show you how good my education was. Right. Anyway. <laughs> well, anyway, so go ahead. I, this, I, I guess you, you, you bring that up. Right. And there's uh, there's something called etymology and it's studying how words were used then. Actually, the translation is wrong on that particular uh from, from the original hebrew it's it's actually thou shalt not murder now you you are stating the very thing that was in the short yeah but here's here's my point if the word as you and this short have stated and i know there will be others who will say the same is murder then why does it say kill now, you, neither neither you nor I can answer that question because that's certainly up to the translators. But that is one of the issues I have when it comes to translating other writings from other languages into English. For example, I know enough about the Hebrew alphabet to know that each letter has its own color, its own tonal, vibrational, if you will. It has its own legend. And then you start putting those letters together with words and words with sentences, sentences into paragraphs, et cetera. And you get one heck of a a legend, if you will, or story, shall we say. The moment that you translate those words into another language, that legend goes away unless the translator is aware and is able to incorporate those elements of the legend from Hebrew into that other language. Uh, that's one of the things that that uh, I, I really do believe that in spite of the fact, what is it, 200 and, uh, oh my goodness, uh, 276 would be 200 years old, uh, 2023, obviously less than that. And yet we're still debating over what the founding fathers meant. Uh, because again, everybody has their opinion. Uh, but that would be, to me, the intriguing thing to go back to that period in time and find out what they really meant. Now, you're probably going to tell me, Mark. Well, we do know because we have a lot of their other writings. Well, again, and you so and I would agree that we still have about, debate over some of these issues. Yeah, I, I would say, again, you go back to etymology and, and, and what you do is you bracket their particular words well-regulated militia, whatever words you're going to question in the first Mm -hmm. and second amendments, but you can use, you can bracket how the words were used before that time, how they were used right after that time, and you'll get a a, a fundamental understanding of exactly what they were saying. Yeah. Uh, Whether you want to believe that or not, you know, that's 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 going to be the debate. That'll be the debate. So yeah. 
Uh, uh, yeah. And, and again, uh, that was not necessarily a simpler time. I mean, you know, every era has its challenges and its struggles for its people. There's no question. Um, although I've been talking with folks lately about how my heart goes out to the young people of today because they will never know the kind of childhood and upbringing that I had. I'm not saying it was Norman Rockwell. It was not dysfunctional. We had the run of the neighborhood. Um, we had uh, neighbors that with kids that would come over to my parents' house. And our house happened to be right in the middle of the block. So it worked out great. And there were no fences. It was all lawns, kept lawns too, mowed lawns. And we would be playing kickball out in this, out in uh, my dad's yard and using the rest of the neighborhood as the outfield. Right. And, and that was just one of the things that we did. And we weren't afraid of uh, being out too late at night. Sometimes we wouldn't lock our doors. I wasn't afraid of the ice cream man. Um, and the list goes on. And yet today, well, if I was a kid, I'd be telling my folks, you either homeschool me or I will be an ignorant SOB because I'm not going back to that place. It's not safe. Why isn't it safe? And, you know, and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I, I thought quite a bit about this. I grew up in the same fashion. Uh, you you came back when it was dark or your father called yeah. the front door, you know, time to come inside. I it's just we're, we're just going to have to realize that society moves on from from different things. And, you know, there's different challenges now for uh, for you know, young people. Uh, mm -hmm. again, it's, it's things change and that's humanity. And we're just going to have to deal with that. We can say, well, this was better or this was worse. Or, it is, that's all. It is it, what it is. It and is now, what it is. Yeah. Now kids have to deal with this, but there's, you know, there are some issues. Yeah. Right. The depression has never been as high oh, uh, in the United heavens. States among adolescents as it is now. Well, believe uh, it or not, they actually women. predicted, they actually predicted this uh, shortly after uh, March of 2020. They actually yeah. predicted that after we get through this pandemic, we're going to have another one and it's going to be the mental health pandemic. Yes. And people are going to be dealing. Now, I guess I could say I'm one of the fortunate ones because I got to keep going to work every day. I didn't have to stay home, uh, even though I, I did stay home for I think it was two, maybe three days, because uh, at that point I had just tested negative. And the most frustrating thing no symptoms, mind you, was the fact that as long as I was negative, I couldn't go anywhere. I was stuck and I could go outside into the yard and so forth. But um, then you've got now you've got what we're dealing with. And it's it's the new pandemic, though. They're not calling it that, uh, you know, but they knew this was coming because, you know, people, uh, human beings, that's not how we were designed, is it? We weren't designed to be solitary or to be confined with a bunch of other people. I mean, you know, can you imagine the studies? I'm sure you're familiar with some of the studies of uh, people who are kept in solitary confinement in in uh, 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 prison situations, jail situations, right. and, and what goes on in their minds and what happens. I mean, I think, isn't it that, uh, you know, the, 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 the mind starts to take over and they can go, they can go insane. Well, again, that's, that's kind of the thing. And you're, you're starting to talk about, brain dysfunction and what does what does that mean to go in yeah um, what's a good point yeah be depressed uh, like an anecdotal story that, that really makes me think about this is and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about the function of the brain but mm -hmm. um, there are people so people who are clinically depressed it, depression is 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 a real thing 
Okay. And it, it's, it's not kind of just in your mind. And there are people that would rather have a limb cut off than can, than continue on with their clinical depression. And it kind of makes me wonder, could all that pain be coming from just inside you? Right. Yeah. Are, are you, are you really, are you putting yourself through that pain or is the pain coming from somewhere else? And then it starts making you wonder, well, where could that pain come from? And now, you know, exactly what does your brain interface with, with the world around you? Uh, and now we start st talking about quantum physics and, again, energies and, and, and all sorts of kind of things open up. Mm -hmm. Think about, yeah, maybe mental illness actually just isn't in your head, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and again, that's the, one of those factors that it is hard to define some of these things because you have... And it has been proven you do have environmental factors. I remember this one. Uh, there was a, a group of scientists. They were conducting this experiment and they finished the experiment. It's OK. We want to recreate it to make sure that we get the same result. And they did. And they did it over. I don't know, maybe four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. They got a different result every time. So then they had to go back and they had to figure out why. I mean, there wasn't anything wrong with their equipment and then so on and so forth. And then it dawned on one of them. Then it has to be us because we weren't all here. Let's say there were 10 of them. All 10 of us were not here for every single one of these experiments. The dynamics changed. So somehow our energy, our bodily energy is somehow affecting the results of this experiment. That's why I hate statistics. Like uh, when the uh, uh, the doctor would say to me about uh, type two diabetes and all that kind of stuff, and I'm going, uh, well, no, that's fine and well and good for you if you want to live in the statistical world, but I'm not a statistic. I'm an individual. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, especially in terms of how the brain works, because not everybody's brain functions the same. Um, I know people who are are dyslexic, but does that mean there's something? wrong with them or are they just processing information differently yeah again it's going to have to go back to you know what what does your brain really do um i've been so they they've done some pretty good neuroscience experiments where you know when, when you when you're doing brain surgery usually the patient is conscious right because there's yeah receptors in their brain and what they found was that you, know, you can stimulate certain areas of your brain and what will happen is people will re-experience entire events in their lives and, and not just not, not just remembering, you know, what you did when you were, you, you, I rode my bike when I was a kid. They'll remember everything. They'll remember the, the, the sound the wheels made on the road. They'll remember the smells. They'll remember the sounds of the birds. This is a huge amount of information, right? Yeah. Do, do you really think that's all stored in your brain? Hmm. Right. And so then you start to wonder, well, wh where could this information be stored? And then thinking about, well, maybe you just have a terminal. Maybe this information actually is stored in this quantum world around us. And this terminal accesses that. And it either accesses it. And, and maybe you're on like one of the infinite number of timelines and you're accessing that information. And when you have something like Alzheimer's, Maybe the dysfunction isn't that you're missing the memories that you keep in your brain. You're missing your access to them. And it's got me in thinking about this whole other 
kind of way of thinking about human thought and depression and memories. And if it's not all stored up here, you know, it has to be dysfunction with how we're accessing it out in the world. Right. Mm. And yeah, you can just go down this maybe a rabbit hole, but um, I think, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, it's fascinating too, because it also then, raises that uh, proverbial question of our consciousness and where it resides, if it even resides within. And there was a documentary I saw on death and dying. And they got the permission of the individual who was terminal. And they said, here's what we want to do. We want to lay you out on a, a scale like they have in, uh, in, in more, in morgues. And um, we want to, uh, first of all, we're going to uh, watch uh, your weight to see if it changes from pre to post uh, death. And the body actually lost, I don't know, a couple of three or maybe five or 10 grams at the most. But everything was on the table. If, if there were any fluids that came out, they were still on the table. So there was no loss of the material or physical body and its elements. Yes. And so then that raised the question, okay, well, was that the consciousness that just left? What, how did they lose even that minuscule amount? Um, I don't know about you. Uh, one of my, uh, another fun movie I love is, is uh, men in black. And that one scene where they've got that giant alien laid out on the thing and they pop the head open. Right. And there's this tiny little guy in there and he's the one running the whole show in that body. Well, believe it or not, Mark, I used to think like that. I used to think that I, this body, that's not me. There's this little guy inside here running the, running the machine, you know, pulling yeah. the levers, you know, and pushing the buttons. What, what is your thought in regards to consciousness and if there's a way to define where it resides and if not, where do you, where does it go? I mean, do we do we go back to basic science and they told us everything's energy? So if it's energy, it doesn't matter. It's it just is transformed. Well, I mean, again, that's the point that you know we're in this this underlying and the energy thing. Yeah, you can say what's well, all energy and and we're all empty space and and, and that really is true. Um, but we're we're in this kind of world of energy and maybe one of the functions of the brain is to protect us from this energy. Uh, there was a woman, uh, I, I think the, the TED Talks called My Stroke of Reality. Um, she was a neuroscientist who uh, the left side of her brain, um, she, she got a hemorrhage in the left side of her brain and she's a neuroscientist and she's keeping track of all this. And uh, the left side of your brain is the rational side of your brain and it protects you from the spiritual things of life, the creative things of life, it's more practical. It's like, okay, here's a, here's a, a table and it's solid. Uh, here's a person and they're solid. Uh, but your right half of your brain uh, takes you out into like, your emotions and creativity and kind of all these things that you know are, are very different across individuals. And what was happening was the rational side of her brain was dying. And now she was left with this creative side that she started to, and she's taking notes the whole time mm -hmm. um, that the one side of her brain is being destroyed. 
and how she entered the universe and and her travels and and the spiritual side of everything and everything we think of as the soul and consciousness she wrote it down and so she's on the lecture circuit now and if you listen to her you know, I, I, th th there were tears in my eyes her talking about you know what this means and, and again it goes to consciousness and and kind of when we think about consciousness we think of our soul we think about, you know, emotion, all these other things that exist. I do think that they exist in the world around us and they're, they're stored someplace else. And we're affected every day by other people's consciousnesses. I, I do think there's too much of us <laughs> just writing things off. Deja vu, for instance. We, we, we feel these things. We, we, we have these premonitions of, of what's going to happen in the future. And we write it off. We pretend like they don't exist, even though it's been happening ever since we've had recorded history. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just your imagination. Well, yeah. maybe it isn't. You know, maybe we're all kind of going through some path that's dictated by the universe. We're on, again, we're on a particular timeline. Maybe we slip forward into the timeline a bit. Uh, maybe uh, we slip backwards. I don't know. But we have to stop kind of thinking that this is just a coincidence. We have deja vu. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. What's the scientific reason? People have premonitions where they define what's going to happen. Someone's going to die. Someone's going to get in an accident. Something very traumatic and strong. Oh, well, that's just just in your imagination. Maybe it isn't. Right. Yeah. So. Mark Rose is our guest. MarkJRose.com is the website will be linked. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I want to uh, I'll pick up uh, uh, with our guest here. Uh, his name is Mark J. Rose, markjrose.com. He has a series of books. I should say it's uh, four parts, if you will, or four books. Matt Miller in the Colonies. And uh, the book one is, is referring to journeyman. Then there is the prophet, if you will, or prophet, Virginian. That was a good uh, Western show too, by the way, yeah. and uh, the and architect, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I was actually introduced to that uh, that program, uh, the Virginian, by my grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side. They loved those. They loved those westerns, and as do I. Gee, can you tell at all about that I do? Uh, <laughs> um, you talked about deja vu, and I'll tell you my interpretation of deja vu. But I'm I'm in agreement with you. Uh, on the one level that it's, you know, you don't just negate it. Ah, no big deal. I was seven years old and I had a day that every time I turned around, it was another deja vu moment. And I thought as a seven year old, I thought I was going to go crazy. All right. As I got older and I would have some of these on occasion, I never had another day like that. I, I don't know what it was about that day, but anyway, and I've interpreted my deja vu moments as the universe telling me, Richard, you're on the right track. Just keep right on rolling. Now, it's been about a year or more since I can recall having my last deja vu moment. Does that mean that I am no longer on the right path? No, I don't need those unless I need a nudge. In other words, what do I need a signpost telling me that I'm I'm on uh, here in California, here in uh, in in uh, Santa Barbara? We have the 101. Well, if I'm traveling east and west from say uh, all the way out in uh, the Gaviota Curve eastward to say uh, Camarillo, 
I'm on the 101. I don't need any signs to tell me that. But there are because people are getting on and off all over the place. So that's kind of how I view deja vu moments. And I have to say that that when I have had them, uh, they actually bring me comfort. And I'm going, oh, good. Because I was, I guess I, I mean, maybe it's, this is why they came. I wasn't sure. I mean, it's kind of feeling a little off center and off kilter and so forth. I'll bet you I, a lot I, of I folks talk, now. I talk a little bit about this in the fourth book. Now, the, the book series isn't all kind of out there talking about no, uh, no. consciousness and right. what we're talking about now. The, the first couple books are uh, romance, they're historical fiction, mm-hmm. uh, they're a young man trying to survive, but uh, he is a time traveler and there are certain idiosyncrasies that come along with that. And yeah. part of it is wondering about the universe. Um, I have thought about the whole child deja vu susceptibility to kind of the influences of 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 the of the universe sometimes i think children i, I don't know if you remember this but i'm sure you do remember how long it used to take for christmas to come oh my god right i mean it, it could be december 1st and yeah. still it's like come on come on come right. on and you remember how fast <laughs> summer went Oh God, right? yeah. You were gonna go back to school. And I and I was good at school, but I geez, I loved summer. Yeah. Okay. And so well, okay, that's that's something that kids experience. They they experience a long drawn out for them time. Let's go back to Einstein. Mm-hmm. Time is relative, right? And so their time is re- now that I'm older, right? Christmas comes so quickly. Oh. Right. It's like, oh, another Christmas. Really? Yeah. We're we're our conversation right now is in April and Christmas is tomorrow. Right. <laughs> okay, so so we'll say well okay maybe kids are just like that and maybe adults are just like that. Well that's not good enough for a scientist. Yeah. Okay, maybe kids are there's a scientific reason why they're more susceptible to the relativity of time. Mm. Okay, and you're less susceptible to it. And maybe it works for déjà vu as well. You know, kids might be more susceptible to this slippage along whatever time path you're going yeah. you slip and you see, and you have to get back again, maybe adults, as you get older, um, you're, you're better able to able to anchor yourself. Okay. And you just don't experience them. And that's not saying you have like something ahead of you or you don't. Right. You're just better at keeping in one place. Right. And, and you, you, there, there's all sorts of possibilities, but I do think kids may, may be more susceptible to certain things. I, I think you're right because they haven't, uh, been inundated with all the information from the outside world to the level that you and I have. I'm 63 now, and yeah. there's some stuff. Uh, <laughs> there are it's uh, it's like a line in John Denver's song. There are some things I can remember, and there are things I wish I could forget. You know, uh, right. and and you're more uh, then, likely to tell yourself that's silly. You know, yeah. when you have a premonition. You're that's oh, silly. Why? Why that that doesn't happen? Yeah. Well, we talk here on this program about uh, asking people to participate in what I have termed the decade of perfect vision. Now, three years ago, it was the year of perfect vision, 2020. And now it's the decade, the 2020s, where we ask people, and I want to talk to you about this as we continue, um, who we encourage them to stop and go within and listen to that still small voice. Now this gets us into a realm that I absolutely love talking about. And that has to do with the, the, the spiritual aspects of the human being and the constructs 
Some of them are constructs and some of them people, they have a knowing that they know that there is a, a grand designer, there is a God, there is divinity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we've put those words on. And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, Mark J. Rose. Is, Rose is my guest, and uh, he's got a very fascinating uh, four-part, uh, I want to call it a four-part series. Um, uh, it's a four books, and the, basically it has to do with a, a, a gentleman uh, by the name of Matt Miller. Uh, Matt Miller in the Colonies, and there are four parts to this. You can find out about them on his website, Mark J. Rose Author. Dot com. Uh, Mark, let's talk a little bit about this whole spiritual aspect. You, I know you've heard the phrase before, we're human beings having a spiritual experience or spiritual beings having a human experience. Depends upon your, I guess, your perspective. Uh, I would put it uh, along the same lines as, is your glass half full or half empty? My question to that question is, what's the glass full of? Okay, that's what I want to know. <laughs> I, I i'm not exactly sure of your your question richard but i think you're asking about god yeah yeah god. um so i i'm i'm one of those kind of strange scientists who has always believed in god and i didn't grow up in the church and so i haven't been a victim of of some sort of conditioning or propaganda whatever people will kind of attributed to yeah um, and as a young child i was kind of always looking up into the sky I, I didn't have a great you know family kind of environment when i was growing up and i was always kind of looking up in the air and going you know, what what the, what the heck's going on yeah you know, why 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 are you doing this and, and and why are we going through all this and uh so i've always believed in a higher power and i've kind of added things in as i go but then i'm also a strong believer in evolution and I look for an evolutionary, an evolutionary reason for everything that happens. And I, I think they're, they're, they're working together mm -hmm. and it's all part of this universal story. Um, you know, as far as looking forward into the future, uh, I, I think we're still going to be having this debate. Uh, we're going to be learning more about the quantum world. We're going to be learning more about, you know, how this all fits, but somehow, 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 um, I do believe God is at the end of all of this. And I've always yeah. believed that. And it's made me go back and study the Bible, uh, especially the first couple of chapters. Um, I've recently looked through Genesis and I've been studying Exodus as well, uh, trying to figure out where this all comes from uh, and what this all means. And every sentence in the Bible has some relevance mm -hmm. to, to how we survive in this world and, and how we move along. And you can't argue Again, as an evolutionary scientist, you can't argue with a text that's been here for 5,000 years. Because what happens to human beings, if, if you really do believe in evolution, is if something isn't benefiting them or their survival, they'll ultimately find a reason to get rid of it mm -hmm. or, or, or ignore it, not pay attention to it, because it uses energy that could be used someplace else. And again, this is evolution. Mm -hmm. okay, our bodies don't do anything in the long term that's not energetically uh, beneficial to the species. How does the Bible remain relevant after 5,000 years? Okay, now you start to say, ah, evolutionary significance. Okay, and, mm -hmm. and kind of have to start. And how do you connect it again with God? And uh, you have to kind of dig even deeper. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but the more I read the Bible, kind of the more and study it, study it, study it like as a scientist, yeah. the more divine it feels to me, the more energetic it feels, the more purposeful it feels uh, in our evolutionary journey as well. And would I, you would you take on any particular name to describe your personal journey and philosophy? Or or are you nothing more than a seeker trying to find as a scientist trying to find answers to your questions? I I'm a seeker, right? I I'm I'm always looking for I, I believe if you have the Bible, you should read it with scrutiny. Okay, and I and I have a lot of trouble with what did I just see a movie, uh, uh, the Jesus Revolution. Um, I saw this, and it, it's about uh, what it's about is about the psychedelic movement uh, in the '60s and how a bunch of uh, the the adolescents, uh, the twenty-somethings, were all kind of pursuing drugs and psychedelics and trying to find themselves, right? And what they found was that that, that drugs um, weren't able to accomplish that except maybe the psychedelics and that's a whole nother field yeah um, you know and then how do people come to the bible right and, and and so i think that uh you know that's one thing i'm very curious about is is again what what this is all mean um but i'm very disappointed often with uh with christian films because they just assume belief right they they yeah. like oh you should just believe this yeah that's not good enough for a scientist you have yeah. to kind of look at it and you have to say and i i believe that a higher power would want us to always be looking in uh, scrutinizing and looking into the basis of it and what it means and understanding it for real yeah um yeah so that's me i'm i'm seeking yeah that's Thanks. Thank you for giving me that out. Actually, <laughs> I was going to answer that question. Any, any, any way I can help. Hey, yeah, sure. also, um, it says in the Old Testament, "Let us sit down and reason together." All right. Yeah. Now I know it's probably I'm taking it out of context. I recognize that, but the statement "Let us sit down and reason together" begs the question: What am I using to reason, ladies and gentlemen? What am I using? I'm using my brain. I'm using my brain and the, the, the ability to process information. You know, it's not enough to just take in information. You have to know how to process it. Um, how did you learn how to process information to go at, go at a question from uh, a direction that not just made sense to you in terms of the answer, but also would hopefully uh, help others as well in that in that context or was that even a uh, thought process in your mind uh, yeah i need to make sure that i understand this but uh, you know if i want to share this with other people i need to make sure they understand it too <laughs> well i remember i'm in a, i'm in a, uh, the world of science i'm in a scientific community and right so kind of one of my what do i want to say one of my challenges i guess is trying to talk to other scientists about uh, a belief in a higher power because it's really not something you can talk about uh, as a scientist because, well, you know, that's silly talk and everything has to be explained rationally. And so one of my challenges over the next couple of years really is to uh, explain God to a fellow scientist mm. in, in terms that they can understand, you know, and not just quote the Bible and say, well, there it is. Right. That's right. not good enough for a scientist. You actually have to have 
some way of bringing it to them that, that makes sense. And I think when we start, again, talking about the quantum world, uh, essentially the quantum world is where miracles happen. Okay. Ooh. In our, in, in our visions. Yeah. Okay. And in, in, in our rational being that it can't be explained. Uh, for right. instance, something interesting that, that I had heard um, based on quantum theory and quantum physics, when you go out at night and you look up at a star, that photon of light can't leave that star until you're there to see it. Now, isn't that interesting, right? Because they told us as kids, well, stars are 10 light years away. They have to, it takes a hundred years for that photon of light actually to get to your eye. That's not true according to quantum physics. That's not true according to the theories of Einstein, Bohr, um, all the 20th century physicists. Uh, you're there, your consciousness is part of that event. And the other one that we always used to talk about as kids, if a tree falls in the forest and no <laughs> one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? Okay, it doesn't, according to quantum chemistry, you or quantum physics, you have to be there. And that, so there that you start thinking, right? So there has to be a receiver for the transmission to uh, be received. Otherwise, the there technically really isn't a transmission. For the waveform of reality to collapse, okay, it collapses in your, you, 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 to, to be taken in by one of your senses, you have to be there. And now suddenly, what is the role of human consciousness to reality? You know, and what's your role versus mine? Are we living on different timelines? Are we living right now? Are we on the same one? But Again, the quantum world is where miracles happen. And now you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. They used to talk about miracles all the time when I was a kid. And I'm like, really? To be a saint, you have to have three miracles happen in your life. Yep. Come on. <laughs> I, you know, I'm smarter than that. There's Miracles don't happen. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. In the quantum world, they do. It, it, it's fascinating. I have to tell you, I was, as you were sharing all this and I'm trying to take it in, I'm going, okay. Boom! My brain just exploded. Uh, I, I I find all of this stuff extremely fascinating. I actually um, co-host a program called Skyview. It's on Monday mornings at nine a.m. here on this station, and and we talk about the realms from my my co-host uh, of space, uh, astronomy, space, aviation, and weather. And we get into, believe it or not, uh, a little bit of these kinds of conversations as you and I are talking in terms of quantum physics and the universe. Matter of fact, um, I, I saw something uh, not too long ago. As a matter of fact, no, it was this weekend. I love watching these YouTube videos. I'd scroll through and I, I'm really into comedy. So I watch a lot of comedy stuff, but every so often in my, the stream that I, I scroll through, I'll come across something in the science realm, you know, that kind of thing. And the question was raised if you were traveling through the universe at the speed of light, what would you be seeing out the window of your spacecraft? Now, science fiction, like Star Trek or Star Wars, would say you're seeing these streaks. Those are the stars going by you, you know, yeah. and, and so forth. Uh, my bigger question isn't so much what do you see, but how can you be sure you're not going to run into something traveling at plus <laughs> light speed right, right. before you hit it? I mean, 
it's hard enough to make sure that I uh, hit the brakes before I get to that red light that's still 150 to 200 feet away, 200 feet away from me. And I'm supposed to watch out for astronomical bodies that are that are coming at me at light speed, you know, or I'm going at them at light speed. But, you so, know, uh, you, you go Frank ahead. Herbert, I don't know if you ever read, read Dune. Uh, I, I, oh, my God, I love that. Uh, Frank Herbert, what a genius. Right. Dune has been my lifelong passion. So I, I've actually read Dune. I read it for 20 straight years once a year. Right. Um, I, oh. I, I, I still get something from it. I read it just recently again. Uh, but, you know, he thought a lot about this. Um, and, and, and one thing that's not well known about Frank Herbert is he was a psychedelic mushroom aficionado. <laughs> so he also published he also published on ways to cultivate mushrooms and uh when you now if you read dune again and you read some of the things that he wrote uh he was very prophetic mm -hmm. number one okay he talks a lot about a lot of things that we're just starting to discover now uh epigenetics if i've ever if you've ever heard of of, of human epigenetics right this ability to modify your dna the crispr um, Technology. Uh, oh, no, no, it's it's it's. Oh, this it is different. Out, yeah, it turns out that um, you, you actually aren't born with a clean slate. Um, you actually have. So if, if your parents went through a trauma, their DNA actually becomes modified. And so you're going to have some of those attributes of stress, uh, whatever kinds of emotions they were going through. And kind of the easiest example of this isn't with humans. It's with uh, uh cloning animals uh there's a, a a famous polo athlete down in, in argentina who has polo ponies and you know he he started cloning his polo ponies because he had these really good horses and uh, what he found and he wasn't a scientist at all and what he found he said it's the weirdest thing that uh the cloned ponies don't need as much training as as as, as a fresh pony because uh, they actually have, they seem like they've learned from their parents, right? So there's genetic memory and it's, it's really kind of interesting stuff, right? And Frank Herbert kind of got into that, but I guess the reason I started thinking about Frank Herbert is, well, he thought about, um, he thought about traveling faster than the speed of light. And he, he said that you had to know the future and he able to do that just for the, for what you're saying. So you don't run into a star, right? <laughs> if you're traveling across That's the right. galaxy. So, but well, yeah, so Dune really is, I, it makes me wonder though about, again, psychedelics, yeah. um, you know, and how much he experimented with them and, and psychedelics do special things actually to your brain Yeah, and connect well, you somehow. So. Yeah. You and I live in California and we, uh, we are certainly uh, uh, predisposed to go out and uh, purchase uh, certain uh, uh, items that are now legal, at least on the state level, the federal level, not so much. So, uh, I always found it fa fascinating that, that people would say, we need to get Congress to, no, you don't, you need to get the FDA to change the classification of cannabis. Right. Okay. That's all you need to do is get the FDA to change the classification of cannabis in that big old giant pharmaceutical book that they, they use. Uh, but, uh, this is one of the things that I, I saw a DVD. Maybe you're familiar with this on ayahuasca. Uh, DMT is, I think that was the title, sort of the title of the, of the video, the DVD that I have. Yeah. And I watched it from, from, from front to back. Now I, I will share with you that I had an experience literally just the other day. We went to the old pharmacy with an F. Uh, my wife is using uh, a certain 
uh, strains to help her with her anxiety instead of using uh, pharmaceuticals. Okay, that that could be habit forming, although so can this. But I don't know. There's there's a different feeling about it than continuing to take pills in any event. So she decided to buy one of these chocolate bars. Well, we know what's in it. Okay. And it's divided. Each row is divided into fours. And I don't know how many rows there. It's kind of like a Hershey bar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So my wife hands me an entire row of four. And I didn't think anything of it. And I just popped it in my mouth. I I was waking up every hour until 7 a.m. the next morning. Uh, and I was, uh, my, my, my head was fuzzy. Um, I, I did not feel like I was in control, which is the main reason it has, when I was in a kid, a kid going to school like you, maybe, yeah, I knew that some of my classmates were taking drugs. Yeah. I just, I just wasn't interested. It wasn't because it was illegal. I just, it just didn't interest me. And the reason is because I don't like being out of control. Well, that's, uh, it's the same thing for me. So um, yeah, but can, uh, cannabis well, doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't, right. no matter how much, many times I've tried because people right. have said, well, you know, it makes me, you know, more creative and whatever. And I'm a writer and I'm a scientist and I yeah. struggle with that. So yeah. does, it, it doesn't work for me. No, so I'm not going to be able to speak on it. Right. Well, no, no, no. And I'm not asking you to, but yeah. what I am going to say is that after watching the DVD about ayahuasca, and the one gentleman who said, oh, yeah, I experienced this. And he was going on and on and on and on and on and on. And then he asked him, he says, how long was I gone? Ten minutes. Yeah. No way. No way. All right. Because okay. of some of the experiences that were described in this DVD, I was rather intrigued that I might. But it would have to be absolutely in a safe environment with facilitators who knew what was going to happen to some of, you know, and, and, and was there to keep us all safe. Okay. So I, so I, I agree with you and, and I'm going to suggest that you do it, Richard. If you're curious, I suggest you do it. Yeah. It and, it's the only, yeah. and I won't say how I know. <laughs> I won't, no, no, no. I won't, I won't go there. Won't go there. But, but, but you, you definitely have to be, you, you, you so psychedelics are, are, for me, they're intriguing. I do think that it's dangerous to get lost in the universe, right? Without somebody to bring you back. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Um, they're not addictive as far as I can see. Yeah. Uh, but be very careful about not doing it. Uh, you have to do it in a controlled environment where, you, again, you have counselors, you have people to guide you. Um, but then, you know, we can talk about what I, I think is happening, you know, and this is a, an experience that people that have psychedelic, that, 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 um, experience the psychedelic experience they always talk about their the relativity of time and how they relive just long periods of time and they look up and only 30 seconds has passed or only a minute has passed and now you know we start talking again about my theory of you know you are anchored by your brain on a certain timeline and the psychedelics cause your brain to slip and come back and slip and come back or maybe you go off someplace else so yeah. it, it makes you really think about again the function of your brain and psychedelics relax that yeah well i it was reading uh one of ramdas books i also read uh, something similar in 
Paramahansa Yogananda's autobiography, which is my metaphysical primer I've been reading since I was 17. And uh, in both books, there's this experience where the the uh, the sage, the um, uh, if you want guru or avatar, um, one of his disciples decided they were going to play a little trick on him. And so they got some uh, some hallucinogen. I don't know if it was LSD or what it was. But anyway, they put it into his drink. And the guru drank it down, did not know that it had been put in. Well, I take that back. He he did know. And he just he just drank it down. Right. Yeah. And the one who had put it into his drink began to hallucinate, began to have his own trip. Right. Yeah. When his trip was over, the guru told him, he says, I know what you did. And what you don't understand is where you just were. I am always there. I don't need anything to get me there because I'm already there. Well, if, if you sit with people who have uh, practiced meditation for a long period of time, um, they will actually describe psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I, I do believe that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then it goes back to all these connections with all of this, but um, psychedelics aren't, they're not a recreational drug. They're, no. they're something to take very seriously. Um, but there's something there. Sure they're a tool. I think they're a, a very valuable tool. And I am glad that in this country right now, there are different um, organizations, companies, et cetera, et cetera, who are starting to, and they've been allowed yeah. to start studying them because the one group of people I would love to see get the help that they so richly deserve is our veterans. Yeah. It disgusts me that our government just turns their back on them. I don't care if there is a VA uh, when they come back. Oh, it's like, sure. well, for wait sure. a minute. I fought for you. Where are you? Why didn't you tell me you weren't going to be here when I went? But thank yes, goodness, the and, public. And again, as a neuroscientist, dead. right? Yeah. PTSD is real. It so is. You do an MRI of, of uh, somebody who has PTSD, right? You see shifts in their brain. Okay. So it's a, it's a, a physiological phenomenon that may never actually reverse okay and so we have to be very careful with with people and and knowing right. that again it's not just we say it's just in your head well maybe it is right but it, it it's a real thing and i and i do and i agree with you uh, would you would you also agree that more than our veterans are today suffering from ptsd and not just those who have suffered trauma through some of these mass shootings which I, I just am beside myself with 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 angst over how we haven't solved this problem because no other country on the planet has this problem. We're the only ones. And I hear the phrase, our children are our future. That's a lie, because right now bullets are our future. Guns are our future, because that's what the current narrative is instead of the very children. And I talked about this earlier, where when you and I, we talked about growing up, I felt safe. Yeah. Damned if I would even feel safe as an adult in a school today, because I don't know who's going to be coming in behind me. So that kind of thing. But um, I'm glad that they're starting to use the psychedelics. They're starting to experiment. They're starting to work with the veterans who are experiencing, if I'm understanding some of the studies, they're experiencing some wonderful results 
in terms but, of PTSD and if, if nothing more, minimizing the effects. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. And they haven't been able to be cured any other way. Um, yeah. Same thing with clinical depression. Um, yeah. There are people that are so clinically depressed. And uh, it's, it's interesting. You have to actually undergo the psychedelic experience uh, to be able. You have to go on the trip. If you yeah. don't have enough, it doesn't work. You have to actually experience the universe and everything uh, doing amazing things with clinical depression. I'm so right. happy for that. I tell you, I wa I interviewed a gentleman. He was a producer of a film uh, regarding veterans, Vietnam veterans specifically. Yeah. This was maybe about seven or eight years ago. The movie was entitled Welcome. And what I loved was I said, so do you think that in this through this uh, program that you've got going, it's kind of like a personal growth and development program, kind of like I went through in in early 80s uh, with Lifespring, which was sort of an outgrowth of Est. Uh, that, uh, that that we need to try to get the veterans to to better assimilate into civilian society. And he says, no. He says, the reality is what we need to do is we need to reverse it. And we need to get the civilian life to acclimate to the veterans. And I think it goes to many other issues, too, like Alzheimer's, which I've had experiences with a, a couple of people with it. You don't try to pull them back into this world by saying, no, 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 it's Richard. I'm Richard. No, I'm not Bill, your pharmacist. I'm Richard. No, 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 no. You generate more trauma that way. You go into their world and there's less trauma and drama. And who knows what they might reveal to you about themselves or what a wonderful, I, I had that experience. What a wonderful, compassionate exchange that I had with this one woman because she thought I was her doctor and I went along with her. Right. Right. No, so that's no, the human mind. You, uh, yeah. yeah. There's, yeah. there's some, so, we don't, so we need to go where the veterans are is what we need to do. Well, the that's, interesting thing about PTSD is that you only get PTSD from uh, human malevolence. You don't get it from uh, a hurricane. Um, you don't get it from a tornado. You don't get it from falling off a cliff. You don't get PSD that way, even those are very traumatic experiences. Sure. There's something special about human malevolence, uh, somebody else doing something wrong to you, okay, trying to attack you, some whatever, mm -hmm. right? Interesting. Right? Yeah. That that. Is, Why would I, that be? I, I, I wasn't even aware of that aspect of it I because I was thinking how many people on this planet, let alone here in this country, are suffering from PTSD after being locked down. Well, they were. And this was the other thing, too, that I had to I had to chuckle at. They were told you had to stay home, but they didn't tell you you had to stay in the house. You could go out into your backyard and get some sun. You know, you can still mow the lawn. Just wow. try to limit your contact with other human beings for a little while. That's I try like... not to talk too much about COVID because I, I yeah, there's all sorts of things that I've thought about. That... Oh, yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. But there's a question that I ask quite regularly, especially when it comes to science. I'm going to ask you that question as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan. I am here with Mark Rose. He is the author of a fascinating series. You you really do need to go pick up a copy or I should say four copies because there are four books. Matt Miller in the colonies available through Mark J. Ross, Mark J. Rose author.com will be linked to that website as well. When it comes to science, Mark, and the things that we can achieve, and, and this has even been brought up. How do we know that these scientific endeavors and curiosities aren't actually part of our 
evolutionary process set up by God. How do we know? We don't. Okay. But here's the question that I always throw out when it's rather controversial types of technologies that we're looking at. I mean, back when they first started cloning sheep. Okay. Um, the question is this with any innovation, scientific or otherwise, just because we can, does that mean we should Mark, Mark, <laughs> I, I, you know, maybe we have to be careful, but I, I don't think that you're going to be able to step in front of, you know, any sort of technology and prevent it. Uh, for five years ago, I was deathly afraid of artificial intelligence, right? Because you know the idea that it, evolution again. Look, look to evolution. Mm -hmm. uh, the smartest, the the smartest species on the planet is always the one that becomes dominant. Okay, and so if you're thinking about artificial intelligence and ultimately having this ultra smart computer control of, of whatever our resources are, you know, we would probably lose that game in evolution. Um, so I was always worried about artificial intelligence and I was interested in scientists. There were, there were, there were the guy who invented the Palm Pilot way back when. Oh, wow. Um, he, he walked out with billions of dollars. And so he's been focusing on, on artificial intelligence and, and he'll tell you some scary things, right? He'll tell you about well, how he's trying to build morality into his artificial intelligence because he doesn't want, uh, if artificial intelligence does take over all the computer systems, it, it, he doesn't want artificial intelligence to start making uh, decisions about the human race and saying, well, you know, we're overpopulated. So, you know, half the people need to die and start sending nuclear missiles everywhere and <laughs> stuff like that, you know. Um, and so I was really worried about that. And I thought, oh, you know, evolution is going to kill us, right? Because they're going to be the artificial intelligence. Now that I understand, I, I'm starting to understand the brain a lot more. It, it, I don't think we're, we're just at the, the very limit of developing the capabilities of our brains, I think. Um, I don't think... Uh, a silicon chip is ever going to be able to access the universe like I think our brain is has the ability to do. Um, and, and then the, the World Wide Web, all of the information, it, it, it probably would have taken over by now. You know, so we yeah. can talk about chatbots and all sorts of things, but I, I'm, I'm not afraid of, of artificial intelligence anymore. That's just one example of what you were saying. You know, can we do it? Yeah. Let them try. Let, let, let them try and see what happens. <laughs> well, um, you're not going to remember a lot of things, though. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, too, of, of conversations I've had regarding uh, extraterrestrials. You know, and of course, now the government is acknowledging, oh, yeah, we're not alone and we're not alone. But now they're trying to make us afraid. And I remind people, look, if you have a species that can travel light years through the universe to our planet, Mark, you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation if they were malevolent, if they were bent on global earthly domination. We we wouldn't be here right now. We would be, I don't know where we would be, but we wouldn't be here. So it's like, stop trying to make us afraid. That's what bothers me about the quote unquote powers that be is they think that we can't handle the truth. <clears throat> Sorry, Jack. Um, I don't know if we can. I, I, I often wonder if we can handle the truth. You know, of how will we know unless we're told? <laughs> I don't know. I, I now that I everything I read now, I, I I think about you know what's the motivation behind the author. Uh, so a lot of times, I think who's getting paid. 
yeah. uh, to, to put this out. So I'm, I'm very critical now with, with what's being told to me. Yeah. And, and I, I think I'm going to stay that way. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm with you there. As a matter of fact, I go one step further. Um, and, and I, again, mean no disrespect to people who lost people in this particular event. I was in Phoenix, Arizona at 5.30 or so in the morning. I got a phone call from one of my uh, uh, co-workers at the radio station I was at. And they told me, turn on the TV, turn on CNN. You need to see, you need to see what's going on. So what the hell are you talking about? Immediately turn the TV on. And what do I see? I see one of the twin towers on, on fire, smoke billowing out. And I'm looking at that thing going, wow, it's some Hollywood's really gotten good. Cause that was my first initial thought, but I've gotten to the point now where, because people are always arguing about whether or not something happened or not. And I'm going to take the position basically, look, I don't know. I'm going to plead agnosticism to that event because I wasn't there. Okay. I didn't see it with my own eye. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that is, that is where I'm at now that, you know, you're telling me that this and such happened over here and, and this and that and the other and, and all kinds of massacres and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I wasn't there. And so I, I can't pass judgment. I can't uh, uh, um, be judge, jury, and executioner and say, oh, yeah, he's guilty because I wasn't there. And it seems as though because we as a society are fighting scientific information, if it doesn't come from the right source, then it's invalid. And I'm just sitting here going, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing where some, uh, it was Wyoming, I think. It was either Montana or Wyoming. They are removing basic scientific information that we have accepted as truth, if you will, scientific fact, for several centuries, like gravity. In other words, if it doesn't conform to the agenda, I forget can, it. I can give you off opposite examples as well, though. Um, remember the Mediterranean diet? Oh, yeah. Okay. And so that's um, th that was a, an article in, I think, the journal Nature. Uh, that's actually been rescinded. Okay. And so wow. that, that was based on, on, on the wrong information. Um, there's actually a cool company that's going through and seeing like kind of all these things we assume or people have community. Remember the, remember the food pyramid? Oh God. Right? Yes. Even when I was going 12, to school, I remember that. 12 servings of carbohydrates and, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was all based on lobbying by maybe it was Procter and Gamble or Kellogg's. I don't know. But again, it's about this sort of thing. Uh, red wine. Like we all are still drinking red wine, thinking it's good for us. Right. There no clinical studies that are proven that red wine is good for us. Yeah. But but if you're a wine company, oh, hey, what's yeah. your headline going to be? Yeah. Uh, red meat. Uh, that's the last one I'll mention. Okay. Uh, lean beef. They've told us for years that lean beef is healthy for us and you want to get rid of the fat and everything. There's no clinical studies that say that. Yeah. So, you know, who, who invented that and how did it become a headline? Yeah, that's a very good question. But right. it also goes to the, 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 uh, the question that I have to you, and that is of the scientific information, that which has been studied, uh, that has been researched, and people still 
might sit there and argue over the validity of that information with all of the studies, uh, a thousand pages uh, of information that that clearly states blah, 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 blah. And that doesn't mean that it couldn't well, change. But you're going to have to always look at it with a critical eye. Yeah. Uh, it's you're going to have to read multiple reports and, and you're going to have to go back to the scientific yeah. data. You know, again, um, another one is supplements. Oh, yes. Vitamins. Right. And and so you hear a number of reports that say vitamins are good. A number of reports that say vitamins are bad. I've had to even as a scientist, I I worked with a group five years ago. You know, they made fun of me because I took a daily supplement. And and I, I for me, I studied the information and it, whatever I saw and decided, well, I'm going to I'm going to take vitamins, you know, but a lot of scientists don't believe in them. They're like they don't make sense. And I, and I think you have to look at every headline you read yeah okay, that yeah. says for covid uh wearing a mask uh um going to the being on an airplane and staying six feet away from somebody you know does that really make sense you know yeah. that, that you're pre being protected from covid i don't know you know but you're gonna have to kind of evaluate it for yourself yeah uh, and there's, see what the source of the information is yeah right. there's a technique called kinesiology uh, I have known about this for uh, almost 40 years. It was shared with me uh, through someone who worked at, uh, they call, also call it muscle testing. Yeah. Um, and there is a physical thing that you can do. There are two, actually. One of them is you take one hand and you make a circle. You take the other hand and you do this. And then you answer, yes, it's supposed to hold. You answer no, and it comes apart. So yeah. you can go into the grocery store and you can say, because your body, you talk about the mind-body uh, connection. The body knows what it needs. I mean, for example, cravings, they say the same thing. Now, uh, too much of anything uh, is not good. My father uh, always used to say, <laughs> eat, drink, and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. So, uh, for example, the, my type two diabetes sodas. I haven't had one since the 23rd of January of July of 2020. I have not had one. I've switched to something else, but I got criticism over what I switched to because, oh, but Richard, it's in a plastic bottle. And you know what? The, look, one step at a time, please. <laughs> you know? I still wonder how I'm going to pay for my Mountain Dew addiction all those years. Yeah. Well, right. see, where was all that fluorescent yeah. yellow color going? And then, then I switched to diet <laughs> Mountain Dew and where was all that guy? I still think I'm going to pay for that, but not for me anymore. Right. Yeah. I loved Mountain Dew too. I mean, Coke, Pepsi <laughs> didn't I built a buy a, a, a cup holder for my bicycle off of uh, right there on the gooseneck and the handlebars yeah. that would hold a 64 ounce. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. 64 ounce cup, right? There you go, right? But I didn't have any problems with diabetes because I was exercising. I was bicycling all over Phoenix, Glendale, Scottsdale, May, you know, and so forth. So I was getting the exercise and burning that sugar off. So I didn't have to worry about that. Then sure. I started driving. Well, yes. there you go. I'm not exercising anymore. So there you go. This is uh, this is very interesting stuff. I want to remind our listeners about the book series. It's Matt Miller in the Colonies. Is this book yet uh, in audible format? Uh, so the first three books are in audible. The fourth book should be available by the end of the week, actually, on audible. Now, you have got a great voice, but did you narrate it? 
Yes, I did narrate, and that's been oh, a controversial decision among my readers. Uh, a lot of them are like, couldn't you afford a narrator? And the answer uh, is, yes, I could, but I didn't want to give the book up to somebody else. I just didn't. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I produce audiobooks, okay? I both read them as well as produce them. Yes. If the voice or the presentation of the author isn't sufficient and they don't have a good voice, like, Truman Capote? No, sorry, you're not recording your book. We're going to get you a narrator, okay? Um, <clears throat> great, great diplomat and all that kind of stuff, but you know, not not so much for for Audible. Uh, you want to do the preface? We'll let you do that much, but I don't think I could sit and listen for several hours to to uh, Truman Capote or someone that just has a voice that's kind of grating. But you. Uh, have the voice. And I think that's great that that you are doing that. I think that authors, again, with those parameters, should read, narrate their own books because they know how to uh, emphasize certain things in certain ways because, well, they wrote the book when I was producing a children's book and the author came in. I'm reading along in the in the copy I have and I'm going, wait a minute, it doesn't say that. And, and I almost had her stop. And then I, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's the author. If she wants to change it in Audible, she can change it in Audible. She's right. the author. <laughs> I'm not saying there aren't some good voice actors out there. Oh, absolutely. That, that would do it way better than me. And I've had, you know, listened to some books. I'm like, wow, I'm so jealous. Yeah. But again, I, I didn't want to give up the character. It's your baby. It's your baby. Yes, it is. You know, uh, any, any possibilities that uh, this could turn into some kind of visual treatment? Notice how I use the very, very, very generic term visual. <laughs> well, I actually started off my career writing, really uh, writing screenplays. And so I have four screenplays um, that have been circulating out there. That's a hard gig. It's a hard world to break into. And I'm going to say, you know, I, I don't know. Um, mm. It would. I, I think it would have to be. It's a series. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it'd probably more be appropriate for, 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 for television, yeah. I think. But I'm not going to hold out for something like that because I know it is it is pretty difficult to get something produced. There are a lot of good ideas. Oh yeah, uh, I was I was um I I was detailing screenplays in Los Angeles, and the competition is huge. There are a lot of good screenwriters out there. Well, I will tell you that uh, there were there were two books that I read. <clears throat> One of them was was Dune, and I am watching the movie in my head in my imagination yeah when i saw the movie i was i was blown away by the my personal accuracy of the scenes but the one movie that that uh by the the the, the author of the book <clears throat> the da vinci code dan brown i'm listening to that book my wife and i are driving to and from san uh, phoenix to santa barbara back before we moved here and i'm seeing the same you know i'm seeing the images i'm watching the movie in my head I could not believe when I'm watching that movie, the way that they had Tom Hanks dressed and his hair and the whole shooting match, how accurate their movie was to mine, oh, really? whether that was a premonition or not, um, or the director uh, and I were on the same wavelength or whatever. I, I love that's why I love both narrating, but just reading in general um, uh, science fiction's always been a, a, a wonderful uh, outlet for me. And yeah, I, I reread Da Vinci Code a couple of years ago, right? Because that, well, I think that's the biggest selling book in history. Yeah, 
And so, you know, success leaves clues. I, I think if you want, you know, to be a, a well-read author, you know, you have to kind of look at the greats. Yeah. Right? And Brown, you know, you, you can't argue with with the best-selling book in history. Not at all. By the way, the one thing about uh, uh, Frank Herbert and Dune that impressed me so much about his writing skills was the, and again, I know we're talking here about someone who, uh, as Steve Martin said in his uh, comedy album, <clears throat> uh, Let's Get Small, uh, <clears throat> uh, basically um, the, the <laughs> it, it was drug-induced. Um, the intricacies of the different, well, I'll call them institutions, political, religious, agricultural, uh, social, uh, and, and so forth. Um, and it's like, wow, that was one of the first books I read with that level of intricacy. And that's well, what he's actually of- acknowledged as the first one to actually do that. Yeah the world building and to, to do the research and, and the underlying structures and, and his son, you know, his son went on to write a lot of the prequels for uh, the Dune series. And so he was working from his father's notes. And so he had extensive notes of how, you know, the underlying story of how these people came to be in the first book. Right. So a lot of, a lot of homework. Yeah. He wrote another book. I read, it was a paperback that I bought. And back then I had to hold the book with one hand and I don't have it in here with me. And then I would have to have my magnifying glass in the other hand and my one hand holding the book would really get sore, but it was so, uh, it it so captured my attention and it was a rather thick paperback. It was called the Prometheus project. Ah, yes. And I remember staying up till one or two in the morning uh, when I was in high school reading that book. It was, it just so captured my attention. It was so cool. Um, and I hope people will have the same interest. I, I'm actually pretty certain they will. When you're talking about a time traveling, he's coming from the 21st century, right? Yes. Back to the, pardon me, the 18th century, uh, in specific 1762. And um, the experiences that he has throughout the these books, and they're available on Audible. And you folks, you want to go to markjroseauthor.com as uh, we are going to be linked to that website here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Mark Rose is my guest. Markjroseauthor.com is the website. And uh, Mark, I want to thank you for giving us so much time. This has just been fascinating. I mean, we could have gone off in so many other directions as well with your vast knowledge and experience in so many, so many other scientific endeavors that you're involved in. And I thank you for giving us so much time. Well, thank you, Richard, so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show very much. Thanks. I do have three final questions for you that I like to ask all of my guests. All right. But before I do, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. Wednesdays for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we are on YouTube where you can 
watch these interviews. I hope that you will. And um, we also encourage you to spend time during this, the decade of perfect vision, going within and listening to that still small voice. And uh, also, if you can support the work we're doing, we would appreciate that. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. When you do go there and you want to send, it's going to ask you for the email address to whom to send it. Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. With all of that, we move into the section of a program, which is called The End, where we ask our final three questions of our guest. And our first question to you is, who is Mark J. Rose? Scientist and author. What is your life's purpose? To pursue my goals for as long as possible to, to play the game of life. And I'm looking forward to the answer to this question. What was your best day? I've had a lot of good days, but I think my best, most recent day was I went through some a, a, a tough divorce um, years ago and I got remarried last year. And that was a pretty good day. Uh, if you get a chance to redo your marriage again and you know how to do it and, and, and it went well and you make mistakes when you're young, that was my best day. So I couldn't agree with you more. I've been through the same thing. And again, I thank you for joining us. And I thank you for joining us for Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. Until our next broadcast, podcast, video cast, love to lull. Jeanette, I am listening, and Dad, be happy.